Distilled, a Spirited podcast. Hello and welcome to Distilled, the podcast that was nearly called Podcast until cooler heads prevailed. My name is Julie Christie and this week we're going to take a stroll down the country to talk about Dingle Distillery, home of Dingle Gin and the host of the 2019 Irish Whiskey Awards, where we'll also talk a wee bit about that. Chances are that if you've been to a pub any time in the last few years, you're aware of Dingle Gin and Dingle Vodka. Eye-catching bottles and the fact that they've become a go-to for mixed drinks means that they're now the most famous thing to come out of Kerry. Yes, even more than Fungi the Dolphin. The distillery also produces some of the country's most highly anticipated limited-release whiskies, small quantities each year making them immediately appealing to collectors. While the Dingle brand seems to have appeared out of nowhere, the story starts over 20 years ago with the extremely risky venture of three men. Oliver Hughes, Liam Lahart and Peter Mosley, founders of the Porterhouse Group. While the Porterhouse is now a fixture of the Dublin pub scene, at the time it started the craft beer movement which we now take for granted. At that time it was practically non-existent. No one was interested. Or at least that was the prevailing wisdom. As it turned out, there was a certain type of discerning drinker who was eager to stray away from the Guinness, Bulmer's, Heineken path to try something new, and the brand flourished. Years later, but still before the craft beer explosion, the founders decided to take another gamble, this time on whiskey. And so in 2012, the Dingle Distillery was born. I could rhyme off all the awards and the achievements of Dingle, including World's Best Gin at the 2019 World Gin Awards in London, but it would be much better to hear it from closer to the source, Dingle's Business Development Director, Elliot Hughes. Hi Elliot, welcome to Distilled, so glad you could join us. Hi Julie, thanks very much for having me. So if you could start off by telling us a little bit about the origins of the Dingle brand and maybe starting off with Porterhouse and how that idea came about. Yes, yeah, so I suppose, like you said yourself, Porterhouse is just over about 20 years old. I suppose the original bar was started in Bray in 1989. Um, I suppose it was very much a, you could say a normal bar, but I suppose a lot of the focus was on different beers. There's kind of man in the van over to Belgium and Germany and Czech Republic bringing back various different beers that people wouldn't necessarily try, but still serving Guinness and Heineken and, and the various different multinational brands. I suppose with the Porterhouse kind of different was in, in 1996 when we opened up the brew pub in Temple Bar. Um, I suppose at the time we, when we opened up, we decided not to have any beers from multinational companies. So no Guinness when it was two miles down the road, no Heineken, no Budweiser. And in fact, we almost kind of went the opposite way when we first released. We had nine beers, uh, two of which we called Wiser Buddy and probably as a bit of a <laughs> piss take at the at the two big beers. So, you know, it was something that we've always kind of prided ourselves on being a little bit different and, and producing beers that I suppose you couldn't get anywhere else. At the time, we were just one or two other guys. I think there was a, there was a brewery down Clare and, and, and then O'Hara's followed us about six months later. So it was very much at the forefront of the beer industry at the time and kind of people kind of credit maybe the late 2000s is when the beer industry really took off. So we were kind of 10, 12, 13 years earlier in advance. I mean, originally, Oliver and Liam had set up a brewery in 1983 called Harty's Brewery in Blessington, Wicklow, where it was uh, a brewery itself. Now, that brewery lasted about two, three years before it was closed down. Uh, The two guys kind of learned a few lessons from that and took it into when they opened the brew pub in 1996. Wow. And how did that transfer from beer to whiskey? Well, I suppose the guys always discussed it that 
when they originally started when they were the two of them both lived in London that I suppose a love of beer and, and going out in the, in the Firkin pubs in the UK in London in particular that you know they really had that love of beer and as they got older and their palates started to change a little bit although their, their love of beer was still there whiskey started to grow on them more and more and more um, and I think certainly in terms of the actual idea for a distillery itself was probably always around and probably was around ever since the brewery was opened and in terms of Dingle as a location um, it's a place where we would have been on holidays and Oliver me and my father and, and the rest of our family were on holidays there since before I was born um, and I suppose I think we, we bought a house down there in 2007 and kind of firmly established roots down there and I think the kind of official start of the Dingle Distillery was 2009 so it was probably a couple of years before that in terms of the thought process. Of course, yeah. and So that's going to be my next question actually, why Dingle? But it seems like you have such close ties to the area. Yeah, yeah. I suppose it was always kind of what it was family roots for from from my mother's side of the family um, and just visiting there so it was every summer for 20 odd years. My mother always claimed to be the real reason the Dingle Distillery exists in Dingle being that she brought a, a boyfriend before Oliver was around <laughs> to Dingle and then when they broke up and they, she got together with Oliver that she decided to bring him down to Dingle and she thinks she really showed him the, the magic of the place. She's a real pioneer yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. At least oh, she claimed that. that anyway. Yeah, quite right, quite right. And obviously with the Porterhouse, your dad, the late Oliver Hughes, uh, Liam Lahart and Peter Mosley were a decade, as we discussed already, ahead of the craft beer scene. Was it a surprise that the whiskey boom came so quickly after laying down the first cask at Dingle? Um, yeah, I, yeah, I think there was always probably a lot more conversation about whiskey when we were opening the distillery than there ever was about craft beer back in 1996. I mean, back in 1996, the publicans around the, around the area, Temple Bar, had a poll to see how long the porous would survive without serving Guinness or Heineken. Really? You know, the the yeah. longest somebody took a bet for was six months. <laughs> so I, I don't think there was ever that kind of conversation about the distillery. I think as much as we were ahead of the curve, I, I think there was other distilleries being planned at the time. There was other distilleries starting pretty much at, at a very similar time. And and we could see the boom that you know Middleton had, had kind of created and still continues to create. Yeah, I mean, I would always consider one of the... Dingle being one of the key players within the revival, I think especially what you were doing was so different in the already established players in the industry. Um, was it always an idea that you wanted to have it small, craft, hands-on? Was that always the vision? Yeah, yeah, it was always the vision that, you know, we never had any sort of thought process about producing... Uh, large volumes of bland liquid. You know, we never kind of wanted to go down that route. We always wanted to do, it, to do it on a smaller scale. You know, arguably, if the budget permitted, we would have done it on a slightly bigger scale. Um, yeah. But it was always supposed to be artisan boutique. And I, I mean, look, we could have put the distillery in the middle of an industrial estate in Dublin or Cork um, or Limerick. But, you know, the idea was, and if we were going for large quantities, we probably would have done that. But the idea was to kind of foster a mentality of this is what a small boutique artisan distillery looks like in, you know, one of the most westerly points in Europe. Yeah, and could you tell us a little bit about your founding father cast programme? That's obviously how you funded uh, kickstarting the distillery, whatever you're right and saying. Yeah, yeah. So I suppose um, as an idea, because, you know, we, at the time and, and actually kind of still today, pretty much banks are a, a bit of a no-go zone for distilleries. They don't, Irish banks don't really seem to see the, uh, bar one or two, don't seem to see the value of, of distilleries like they do in Scotland. Um, so I suppose from our point of view, the way we looked at it was, okay, well, we're going to have to start this some way and we need to be innovative about it. There wasn't government grants, um, there wasn't kind of different grants from different semi-state bodies and there wasn't loans. So we started up the Fink Founding Fathers Programme, which is 500 casks, um, whether you could choose your own cask, um, started in 
late 2012 and I think there was still casks being bought up to about 2017 where people could buy their cask and at the end of the five-year programme they could decide to either sell it back to the distillery, um, bottle it uh, at the time or mature it for, for a further period of time and bottle it at a later date. So, you know, it, it raised over about €3 million, Euro, which, which effectively wow. funded the distillery in the first couple of years. Um, before the gin side of things started to take off and, and started to take the brunt of that um, expense. I'm sure a lot of the people on your podcast will probably tell you about the expense of running a distillery for the first few years. So yeah. it's, it's certainly a... It takes a bit... It's a big a, a, investment. It is a big yeah. investment. It's not, but I think people often think about the initial capital outlay, but it is kind of the ongoing cost. And we are, as, as I say, a small distillery. We're a one-ton mash. We're a lot of the kind of distilleries that set up since we started a two ton mash so I mean your your costs are almost double not quite but I mean it's, it is a really large to keep expensive money outlay in. yeah and I think that's such an interesting point you know the banks like you were probably one of the first distilleries in a while kind of getting set up and they were kind of like oh well we've not had an Irish distillery in a while, like, what do we kind of do here as well? I'd say that would be... Yeah, it's just... And today, you know, we we still have meetings where they just don't understand the concept and, and don't want to understand it. it it's, I suppose, the, the idea of starting a business where you mightn't actually release the product you're producing for a number, number of years is, is a bit scary for them and, and, and they go on a more basic kind of, this is what the value of property is and this is what the loan-to-value ratio is and, and so there you go. Whereas... I suppose a lot of the Scottish banks have a history in it and are more willing to depart with the depart goods, with that. Yeah. yeah, I mean, even from a I suppose a grand side of things, I remember it was kind of said to me by um, one of the, one of our previous employees. He turned around and he only started working a few days before, and he kind of worked out what the duty rate was. And you know, duty rate in our bottle of gin is twelve sixty six, and he kind of wow. turned around and went, "Well, why don't the government just give you?" A grant to set up a distillery because they'll make back their money in no time in revenue. Yeah, that's, uh, a, that's a great point, I mean, yeah. I kind of sit there going, okay, well, actually, we got zero help from the government. I mean, Uderos, uh, the local Gaeltoc region, have been very helpful in the last couple of years, but it, it's kind of baffling how little people want to support kind of local business, especially in a rural area where it's kind of creating employment. Yeah, in a, exactly, in a small and it's rural important area. to the yeah, community. Absolutely. And would you have said that was the biggest challenge of setting up Dingle Distillery, and is that obviously an ongoing challenge that you face today? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was definitely probably the biggest challenges, um, and it did stop us from probably um, increasing our facilities from a tourist point of view, and even maybe increasing our capacity. Certainly, kind of additional capacity aspects were added on the last couple of years. Um, it is something that we would have preferred, but yeah. I suppose sometimes when you don't have it, you just have to work a lot harder to to get across the line. And you know, the Fanning Father scheme was something that came up because we didn't have. Um, another avenue to go and it was an innovative scheme that's kind of being you know trialled by lots of other distilleries now at the moment as well so it's it's something that we proved worked and also I suppose a, a really interesting way of getting 500 people on board you know we kind of consider having brand ambassadors all over the states all over Europe um, some in Asia as well throughout Ireland I suppose probably our biggest grouping yeah, but yeah and it's, it's really helpful because these people spread the oh I love that way of looking at it like they're yeah. you know brand ambassadors for the brand I think that's really nice and what was it about the alcohol business that made you want to follow in your father's footsteps um, I, I suppose it was probably a bit accidental really I mean I kind of I always did a little bit of work at different events we did you know we used to work at Taste of Dublin and there was a couple of events at Farmley House and, and Bloom as well I did it kind of through secondary school and then in through college and then I suppose when I finished college I just happened to there was a 
it was a one day a week gig um, somebody had just left and they needed somebody to cover one specific aspect and I did that for a few months and eventually was going to move off to do something else I was asked to stay on to do five days a week this is kind of in HR uh payroll side of things so yeah. the really exciting elements of, <laughs> of, the, of the distillery business and, and it shows as I got into it and being in a small business um, you know you're kind of tasked to do multiple different things you know people ask you what your job is what your job description is you know my, my current job description business development director is kind of a you know it's, it's a it's title a that's term, yeah. well it's, it's loose if completely false you know what I mean it's, it's kind of you, you do everything that's involved in a small business so I mean whether you're just straight in the door or you're you're one of the directors involved you have to just do everything and I think that's always important so I suppose to answer your question when I got involved I found the industry exciting I kind of started working a lot more with Dingle um, probably about a year before Oliver passed away and you know I, I kind of found it a, a really interesting aspect of the business that I hadn't been too involved in previously but got more and more involved in and then with the creation of the, the new brewery which we just opened up last year, as well as the growth of Dingle. It was just an interesting aspect of the business. Yeah, and you were able to develop it further. And I mean, like the, as we touched on earlier, like the awards you guys have won for your whiskey. And obviously we need to touch on the world's best gin earlier this year. What a tremendous accolade. You must be delighted. Yeah, yeah. We kind of, we've always been quite proud to, this was on, on both sides of things, particularly with the, the amount of awards we've won on, on the gin side of things. And, you know, we went down to the World Gin Awards back last February and it was it was a, it's just an unexpected. Um, Did you see it coming to, at all? Or? No, we, we didn't. We I suppose we'd never been to it, so we didn't realise what the format was. So, you know, we, we were kind of hoping maybe we get a bronze medal for, you know, for, yeah. for, for a London Dry Gin or something like that. But then to win the overall London Dry Gin and then to go on to win the overall world's best gin was something we didn't really expect. Yeah, um, but it, like, we had good celebrations afterwards, and it was it was good good night in the yeah, end. Yeah, and great for the community as well. Really put Stengel on the map, I think. Yeah, as well. I mean, I suppose I was delighted to be in London winning the award, but I think from one of the guys who works with us who happened to be in Dingle at the time and it seemed a much more enjoyable place to be for that weekend. So <laughs> the kind party of, was better. Yeah, yeah. I kind of was almost a bit upset that I wasn't down there. But um, yeah, no, it, it definitely, I think people took a lot of pride in. And before the award itself, I think people have always taken a lot of pride within the Dingle Peninsula and wider Kerry in, in Dingle Gin, in the Dingle Whiskey Distillery in, yeah. in total. Because I suppose it's something that, well, we feel and I think they agree with us that we, we, we do tend to go about things the right way. You know, we, we try and employ locally um, we try and give local people business um, and we foot ourselves in the middle of that locality and, and we, we don't try and step on any toes and, and, and become the big the big bad business uh, from Dublin coming down to Dingle we, uh, we very much want to be part of that community Oh that's fantastic well you will be in the, the thick of it this year when you're hosting the Irish Whiskey Awards um, for any of our listeners that's happening on October the 17th at the Dingle Distillery um, previously we've always done it in a distillery in Ireland different distilleries so Jameson Bow Street Slain Distillery. This is our first time going to a very small, very craft experience, and we're delighted um, that you guys are going to be part of it this year. Um, are you looking forward to it? Yeah, yeah, no, we're really looking forward to it. The guys are all looking forward to it. I mean, it will be um, somewhat different to the previous. I think it's going to be very dingle. Yeah, we're definitely intent on making it very dingle. If, if, if anything, it'll definitely be. Um, small rustic and artisan I mean you know I've been to the last three or four uh, editions and, and they're always absolutely fantastic but it'll definitely be a slightly different tact and, I, and I, I'm really delighted that 
you guys are are coming down to us. I was kind of fearing that we might be a little bit too far away, but I think for all the other distilleries in the island that might look at that and go, okay, maybe that's our turn next year as well. Exactly. It, yeah, I think it's a good chance to, to show there's a lot of people that may never have been down to visit us hey. down in Dingle. And, and you know, it, I think it's great for, I suppose, especially predominantly a trade night um, for people to see a different element of our business and, and what we're doing. Of course, yeah. And in terms of the visitor centre, was that always on the cards when um, your father and Liam and Peter started off the distillery or was that kind of an afterthought? The current one? Because I'm not sure I'd call the current one a visitor centre. It's more of a, 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 <laughs> a tin blue experience. shed. Yeah, yeah. It definitely, it's definitely an experience. No, I mean, uh, yeah, it was something that I remember specifically, actually, um, it was the kind of summer of 2013. We used to run whiskey schools and my father had turned around to me and I was doing it. There was a three-day piece before our founding father's party in August 2013 and, and Oliver turned around and said that he was asking one of the local guys down to, to sit in the whiskey tour and that he thinks he was going to come on and do our tours and start our tour programme, which hadn't really been discussed whatsoever since we'd opened. Um, and I remember he was telling me he was the, the old Garda sergeant in the town and I was kind of going, OK, I was maybe a bit, bit sceptical. And when we left the pub the next night at three in the morning after Joe had conducted a lock-in for us all to be sitting there <laughs> and he was kind of had court over everybody who was in the pub, I turned around to Oliver the next morning, he is 100% the right guy. He's a very yeah, yeah. So, I mean, like, you know, there was thoughts of a visitor centre, but certainly Joe, Joe Joyce, who was the original tour guide, kind of very much put that on the, on the, map. On the map for us. And, you know, if you look at your... If you're into that kind of thing, TripAdvisor and Yelp and all this kind of stuff, like that's all they all, all of it was was started by by Joe. And he really kind of gave us our five star start. Yeah, oh, fantastic! And I mean, that's definitely experimentation. I would say is at the core in Dingle. I mean, obviously you're making your whiskey down there, your gin, your vodka, but different styles of whiskey as well. I know certainly your single malt and cast mm. strength when they were first released. I mean, you must have... Did you expect it to take off so well as what it did? Well, I think we always thought... I mean, I, I remember being down in Dingo kind of almost full-time for about six or nine months before we released Batch 1. And I just remember every 10 minutes there was somebody knocking on the door asking when they could buy the whiskey, uh, when was the whiskey going to be released. And at the time, to be perfectly honest, we, we had no idea. Yeah. You know, we were probably a little bit all over the place. We had things being ordered. We weren't sure when bottles were going to arrive. We weren't sure when labels were going to be arrived. So it was very much, oh, it'll be next week, it'll be next week, it'll be next week. And, yeah. you know, we learned an awful lot of lessons from that from that side of things. But I, I just remember the demand was, was so high. So I, I remember thinking that, look, we'll definitely sell at least the start of it. But I mean, for me, what's the most encouraging thing is we just released our fourth batch release um, back in April there. And, you know, that was sold out quicker and it was the biggest release we've had and it was sold out quicker than any of our previous ones. Mm -hmm. And our cast strength was just, was it was ridiculous how quickly that sold out. And then, yeah, I guess the prices they seem to be going for on the on the secondary market is... I don't think you could have anticipated that, like the no, prices and No, auctions. it's certainly different. Um, I'm not sure what I think about it. <laughs> it's certainly different. But overwhelmed at all. Yeah, yeah. This, it's, the demand is just it's phenomenal. Like, and I, and I, I think that's something that I think is a testament to the, you know, we're, we're, we're never kind of, you know, denying things that, you know, our, our first release was, it was a very, very young uh, whiskey mature fully in bourbon casks. You know, I think a lot of people 
when they picked it up and, and, and maybe looked and was kind of going, okay, well, what's this? And then comparing it to an older whiskey, whereas, whereas we've always been honest saying, you know, this is a journey that we want to bring people on as part of Dingle, that, you know, every release we have, we want to become a, a further mature whiskey, a, a better whiskey, and, and, you know, bring people on that journey with us throughout, you know, the next 10, 15 years. And, you know, in 10, 15 years' time, people be going, geez, 20 years ago, I remember that uh, first uh, batch release by Dingle Distillery and how things have changed over the years. You know, it's not just that we're a distillery that have come out and released, you know, a twelve-year-old spirit until we can come up to a, a seven or eight-year-old that we've produced ourselves. You know, uh-huh. that's something that we never really had any interest in. And in terms of like, is it always going to be the case that limited release for Jingle? I know obviously you don't have the capacity to make a huge volume of whiskey. It's what some would be right saying two barrels a day or yeah, something yeah, like about that. Two barrels so, a day, yeah. um, is it always going to be the case that will be limited releases? Are you hoping in the future that you will have like a core expression out there? Um, it's a bit of an ongoing debate at the moment, really, with us. I mean, for me, I, th- I think for the foreseeable future, it will be, I suppose, a limited release. I suppose the difference between limited and a core expression is just how many people are interested in it. So, I mean, a limited That's release could become point. a core expression yeah. if nobody wants to buy it. That's yeah. very true. That's very you know, true. Yeah. Limited could be, you could be talking about a, a million bottles and it could still be limited. Um, <laughs> not that we're going to be quite up at that stage. Yeah, our, our numbers do kind of progressively go up, but I suppose due to the... I suppose natural in terms of the founding fathers and then also you know we started on a single shift production moving to double shift and then just general inefficiencies that might have existed in the first two, three, four years that have kind of been eradicated since then you know our production of our volume has increased you know we are looking at putting in a, um, a visitor centre uh, replacing our nice blue tin shed um, and we would hope that we would increase the amount of fermentation tanks there to allow us to increase production um, again, you know, we're still talking three to four casts a day. Yeah. So it's, it's still nominal in the grand scheme of things. But I no, think that's we, part of Dingle's charm, though. I think so. I mean, we don't have any any thoughts of, you know, buying huge amounts of... Um, a huge amount of uh, whiskey spirit to, to add into our single malt just to create greater volumes. You know, that's not something we have any interest in. And in terms of, obviously, you were the first distillery outside of Middleton, I believe, to release a single pot still. Yeah. Um, was that always on the cards? Yeah, that's something that we've always been really interested in. And I think kind of when we first released it, we kind of became more and more interested in it. And, and just the, the feedback that we were getting was, was, was really, really positive that, you know, it's something that we, we try and I suppose it's always kind of... Uh, conditions um, with malted barley and, and, and on malted barley whether we can actually produce it but we, we, we try and produce about 50% uh, pot still 50% single malt so we do produce probably a much greater amount of pot still than, than a lot of our, our other colleagues Yeah, fantastic and in terms of obviously you make the gin and the vodka there and the gin in particular seems to have really taken off mm. was that kind of a crucial point in your success story whilst you're waiting for the whiskey to be ready or how did that kind of occur? Yeah, well, I suppose the gin and the vodka was always originally produced. I've seen a couple of things online. It really, it does make me laugh a little bit when people kind of are kind of accusing us of only doing gin and vodka, or, and it happened to work. And it's like, yeah, well, that's exactly what happened. You yeah. know, I, I, I kind of said it a million times on various different things that that's exactly what happened. We produced gin and vodka for our own pubs, the Porter's pubs, and for the local Dingle town and, and local peninsula, and um, for those who might buy into it. And you know, you can show it with the fact that I suppose the Dingle Gin Dingle Vodka were, were kind of very much set side by side same bottle um, same look 
and it was very much meant to be that yeah we'll probably sell more we actually thought we'd probably sell more vodka than we would gin because uh, if we can get a pouring vodka in, in a few different bars we, we, we sell a lot of it um, but then yeah gin, gin did start to take off and it became a, an absolutely crucial element to the business I was only kind of saying to somebody uh, yesterday you know kind of asking what the, the long term vision for was, was the long term vision the Dingo Whiskey Distillery always whiskey I said yeah well it absolutely was when we started and I would have said the middle term version of vision was always whiskey but you know the middle term vision is very much combined gin and whiskey at the moment so I wouldn't want to say what the longer term vision is at the yeah. moment because it has gotten a lot bigger than we thought you know we, we bought a 500 litre still originally which catered for our gin vodka and, and seasonal gins whereas you know we're, we, we purchased a 2000 litre gin still and had it fully up operational back in last July and you know that all that does is produce work constantly yeah. yeah yeah and then so our, our smaller still can be used for whether our vodkas or our four seasons that we'll be releasing this Christmas as well yeah no I mean certainly even obviously Dingle it's huge Dublin it's huge I was in Waterford the other week and seeing people ordering oh do you have Dingle gin mm-hmm. of course we have Dingle gin like it is everywhere yeah I mean I remember coming home um when we first released it and kind of, you know, turn around to, to Oliver and kind of saying, oh my God, I can't believe that X amount, X, X bar in Dublin or if I was down in Cork or, or Galway or wherever I was, kind of, that, that bar actually had Dingle Gin there or, or I was sat beside somebody and, they, and they, they asked for one. Whereas now it's very much the other way. I'd be turning around to our sales guy going, guys, why, the, why, why don't they have Dingle yeah, why Gin? Why don't they have Dingle Gin? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, it's a staple of, now, well, yeah. Well, you know, is there something that we're not doing there that... that that they don't have it on on shelf, and is what what can we do to fix that? And it is just you know ex- our expectations have changed since we since we opened the series, and it's a it's a lovely problem to have. But you know it's something we we want to grow, and we're not necessarily satisfied with with what we have at the moment. We want to keep growing the Dingle brand, you know, not just in Ireland, but kind of further afield, worldwide. Yeah, yeah, yeah and I think it's it's something that we're we're capable of doing, and I think it's it, you know it's a, it's, a, it's a beautiful product and it and it tastes. You know, well, it tastes the best in the world, as yeah. far as I'm concerned, anyway. Um, and it, it's something that there shouldn't be any reason why we can't grow it a bit, a and bit in, more. And in terms of other markets, obviously you're, you're placing quite a big focus on the US at the moment. Is there any other markets that you're kind of tapping into? Yeah, the, well, I suppose the US is, is probably the obvious one. The UK has been a strong one for us, um, kind of probably over the last two or three years and something we're hoping to continue to grow. Um for the moment, we're kind of concentrating a lot on Western Europe, and then I suppose with the, a longer term vision of moving maybe to more towards the Asian markets as well as Australia, New Zealand as well. I mean, we are quite a, a small team, you know. Yeah, and you it, are limited. Yeah, and, it, and there's an element of we can try and be flashy and go throughout the world and try and do as much as we can in as many countries as we can, but we don't have the workforce or, or the marketing budget to, to, and to support. And enough of the products as well. Yeah, well, I think product wise, we should be we should be okay. If we, if we want to grow, we can grow. But it's you know if, if we want to put ourselves in various different markets you know we want the people there to back it up and to be telling people about Dingle there's no point putting Dingle on a shelf in the middle of Taiwan and kind of nobody visits the place or or, or there's nobody yeah. knows about it and it sits there for six months it's all well and good having a picture taken and throwing it up on social media and it's great that you're in all these places but you know I don't it see the point sell, yeah. yeah it's a bit like it was the States as well as the same thing you know the States is, is 50 different countries you know and for us, we're focusing on you know seven or eight different states, um, because we don't have the manpower to turn around and be in fifty different states and have a marketing budget to support fifty different states. And in terms of what would you what would your thoughts be on the kind of growth of Irish whiskey at the moment? Obviously, there's a lots of new distilleries popping up all over the country. Uh, what's your thoughts about that? I think it's brilliant. I think it's um, it's it, it's great to see a diverse 
industry like that. I mean, we see on the beer side of things, it's probably a bit more mature, which I think is about 60 or 70 breweries now at this stage. Um, so it's great to say, I think, I don't know, we're up about 26, 27. It's probably, it's probably 30 by the time this yeah, goes out. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so, New but, one every week. But yeah. I think it's brilliant. I think as long as everybody's going about it the right way, um, and I think the Irish Whiskey Association is, is is great and it's in a position to, to support that. Um, as long as everybody goes about things the right way and, and increases the brand um, of Irish whiskey, and I mean, whether that goes for the smallest distillery in the country or whether that goes for Middleton, I think it's all important that we're all buying into the, the brand of Irish whiskey because it is something that I do believe in is the rising tide floats all boats and it, it is something that we will continue to grow. I mean, you know, if you're in... An off license, particularly in, I suppose in the western side of the the states where they don't have maybe that strong Irish connection. You know, you walk into an off license, your your average one or, or your duty free, and there could be four bays of Scotch, and you'll have half a bay of Irish whiskey, and it'll be three or four skews, and yeah. it's it's quite frustrating to look at that. So I think, you know, not having a view of there's so much growth for Irish whiskey there, particularly with the dreaded word Brexit um, oh, but there's yeah. so Let's much growth yeah that. there's so yeah. much growth for Irish whiskey in, in the States um, I think well there is potentially a tariff coming along the line but we'll see about that but there's so much growth there that I, I, I think that Scotch has so much of that capacity at the moment and that we should be able to grow in and eat into that and I think the more distilleries you are it gives consumers the opportunity to try more products so if they don't like one particular brand at least they can try another as opposed to having four or five distilleries um, and effectively they can't actually have any diversification of what they actually want to drink Yeah I mean there's like yourselves and other brands already established are definitely paving the way for the new ones coming up there I'd say um, obviously it's important to differentiate but in terms of getting into new markets as you said it's all about educating the customer Yeah, um, yeah. I, I mean but there is there, there, there is a I think there's a real lack of understanding of Irish whiskey in a lot of in a lot of countries. I mean, for me, half the time, every time I mention the word pot still to people in the states, they talk about the pot still. Yeah, as, as I'm very distilling yeah, the whiskey. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and you're kind of sitting down. I, I remember having like a ten minute conversation with somebody. I was just like, no, you. Don't. I'm just like, no, no, I totally understand. And I was like, y- you just don't get this. And you're kind of trying to explain this, and they're kind of going, oh, actually, okay, I understand that now. But I mean, even I've, I've sat there with with bartenders in, in good cocktail bars and they talk about, you know, Scotch whiskey in Ireland. You know, as yeah. <laughs> we're producers of Scotch whiskey. And you sit there going, okay, this is... Yeah. So I We've think there's, got a long way to go. There is yeah. a long way to go. And I think us pretending that the world has the same understanding and knowledge of Irish whiskey as we do internally is just sticking our head in the sand. And I think it's something that, whether it's the IWA and whether it's bigger brands in general, you know, I think James and Half probably led the way in that in terms of what they're doing with their brand ambassador program and educating people throughout the world because people don't understand. Yeah, no, it's very important. And mm. of course, a great way for any of our listeners, you know, wanting to learn more about Irish whiskey, the place going to go this year would be Whiskey Live Dublin. Uh, we'll have Dingle Distillery yep. back with us again this year. Um, and they'll have a master class as well. Um, have a little look at www.whiskeylivedublin.com for some interesting details on that. I think there's going to be a few little surprises. Yep, I'm we'll not have sure a couple if of things. Elliot's going to tell us today by the looks of yeah, things. Yeah, well, I think but if you'd looked at what we've released over the last couple of years, you'd have a fair idea of what we'd be doing kind yeah. of this November time. So Some interesting cast finishes and stuff like that to watch yeah. out for. Um, and before you go, what would be your top cocktail recommendation for? I'm going to ask one for Dingle Gin. Ooh, um, well, I actually 
How do you like to drink it? Well, I actually really like, and it's probably the sweetest thing because I have a real sweet tooth, but I really like what's called a clover club. Oh, right. Yeah, I, I know people kind of turn around and just look at me like, what the hell is he saying there? But no, I, I actually just, I have quite a sweet tooth. But I also, I, I, in fairness, I do kind of really like a good gin martini as well, but probably at different stages of the night. Yeah, um, shaking or stirred. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, um, so they would say Depends stirred. Depends on the mood, yeah. Well, I can't remember what programme was, but uh, shaking... James, they accuse James Bond of being of liking weakened drinks because he shakes his martini. But <laughs> okay, <laughs> we'll keep that in mind. Yeah. <laughs> well, thanks so much for coming on the podcast today, Elliot. It's been a pleasure to have you, and uh, have a great day. Perfect. Cheers. Thank you. And that brings us to the end of another episode. Thank you very much for listening and I hope you'll join us next time when we'll be talking to Laura Hemi, Master Distiller at Rowan Co. Make sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode and give us a wee rating. Go on, you know you want to. Also make sure to follow on our social channels at Distilled Pod on Twitter and at Distilled Podcast on Instagram. Until we meet again, my name is Julie and this has been Distilled.